0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the OSHA 3030 with Manish Rath. I'm Manish Rath here at Keller & Heckman, and you are listening to the OSHA 3030. This is an update on OSHA law that we do about every 30 days, and we try and cover a new developmental area of OSHA law in about 30 minutes. We've been doing this for over five years, and uh, we've covered a lot of topics. We're almost wrapping up on six years. We've covered a lot of great topics, uh, and I will say that they are all on our website. Today's topic is a great one. The uh, Review Commission issued a decision involving the element, the prima facie element in proving all claims that involves the requirement that there be employee exposure. It's a great decision, and so we thought it was perfect for the OSHA 3030. I'm joined today by my colleague, Javane Nukumaram, who has participated in a lot of the OSHA 3030s over the past couple of years. Uh, Javane, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thanks, Manish, looking forward to today's discussion. Yeah, I think it's
0: a great topic. So with that said, I'd mentioned that the programs that we've done over the past almost six years, there's over 60 episodes, and they're all on our website, khlaw.com slash OSHA3030 and you can sort through them by topic. They're chronologically listed, and you can browse through the topics, listen to any one of them you like. You not only get the audio, but the audio and the slides moving together in a self-executed file. It's a really great program, and it's a great library of programs uh, there on our website. Uh, The only other thing I'd say before we get going is when you get this invitation, we do this as a complimentary program, free to our clients throughout the country, throughout the world, and to friends of Keller & Heckman. So the only registration fee we ask is that when you get the next invitation, please forward it on to three other people. Many of you have written back and said, I do, or I have forwarded it on to three others. To those of you who have already done so, thank you very much. And please, forward it on to three more. And for those of you who have not yet forwarded the invitation on to three people, please do so the next time you get an invite. New members of the OSHA 3030 community are the lifeblood of the program. We want to keep this going. It's a great service we provide to the safety and health community and in-house council community, and new members will help ensure that it keeps going for many years to come. So with that said, today's topic, a decision that came out of the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission, or OSH Review Commission, that is an independent agency that is a tribunal for appeals of safety and health decisions that come out of the administrative law judges offices uh, when OSHA citations are contested by employers and today's centers around one of the prima facie elements that OSHA has to prove in any case, regardless of what safety or health standard they are attempting to enforce, and that is the element that there has to be employee exposure to an alleged violation. So with that said, one of the things we'll talk about is the over, uh, provides you an overview of the facts in this particular case that came out uh, we'll provide a discussion of the employee exposure element of proof and then an overview of the administrative law judge or ALJ's decision. The, the OSHA, that decision OSHA didn't like so much, so they appealed it to the Review Commission. And we'll talk about the Secretary of Labor's arguments in that appeal. And then finally, we'll provide the Review Commission's findings and holding, I'm sorry, in this Review Commission uh, appellate decision. And, Then before we part company, as we always do, we will leave you with practical takeaway items that are lessons learned from this case uh, on a slide titled What Employers Should Do. So with that said, why don't we start by getting into the facts of this case. Javine, I think the facts are, are the really critical bedrock for understanding how the review commission came to this decision
1: absolutely there there are a lot of facts that not only the ALJ but the review commission had to weigh in assessing this employee exposure issue. so they are very important to talk about here so the employer in this case is Calpine corporation they own and operate a a power generating plant in Bethlehem Pennsylvania also known as uh, the Bethlehem Energy Center so Calpine uh, contracted with Siemens Energy to perform maintenance overhaul on several turbines at the facility, including a turbine referred to as CT6. So even though Calpine hired Siemens to do this overhaul, Calpine retained ownership and control of the entire facility, and they did not give any portion of its control to Siemens. So they still supervised all of the work done and uh, regularly had their own supervisors uh, in the CT6 building to oversee work. So during this overhaul Siemens, uh, they were tasked with disassembling and reassembling reassembling the CT6 turbine. So the turbine, the way it was structured is that it contained two combustion chambers with an upper platform surrounding each chamber that connected uh, via a catwalk. So the platform is about uh, 17 feet high above a concrete floor and it's accessible using either of two ladders. One would be, uh, it would help them access the east chamber and the other one uh, access the west chamber. So no matter what ladder you go off of, you go up, you can uh, walk across the platforms to either one. Uh, so Siemens, while they were performing this task, they removed grates from sections of the platform, creating several, several large openings in order to work on the C6. Now, these openings normally wouldn't be there, but they were, they were only created for this particular overhaul project. So the openings were sufficiently large for a person to fall through, so they're very dangerous. So, uh, so Calpine's operation manager uh, one day, this is December 20th, 2010, uh, issued a work order that instructed uh, Calpine's maintenance employees working on the night shift to install a new spark rod in this uh, CT6 turbine so the task involved going up to the upper platform since the spark rod needed to be installed near the top of the ct6 in the east chamber so uh, calpine's lead maintenance operator came in to replace the spark rod but then when he saw the openings to the platform he decided the task was not safe to do so did not complete the task so then the next day Calpine's operations manager again listed this replacement task on the work order since it wasn't done the night before. And this work order did not mention any of the upper platform openings. So, so at some point during this night shift another of Calpine's uh, lead maintenance officers came came in with work gloves on and the replacement part in his pocket and he entered into the building but no one knows what, what happened exactly when he was inside. Unfortunately. His coworkers found him the next morning deceased near the base of the west uh, chamber ladder. And uh, there was a platform opening close to the west chamber ladder that did not have railings or an attendant. Uh, So following the incident, OSHA inspected and issued a citation to Calpine. Um, The citation alleged that Calpine violated the walking working surfaces standard, which requires that every time or at the time, it required that uh, every temporary floor opening um, have standard railings or be constantly intended by someone. So we should note that this particular requirement is no longer a requirement in the standard. Uh, The standard was updated in 2016, uh, but again, at the time, this was a violation of the standard. So now that we know some of the facts, why don't we get into uh, CalPINE's case with OSHA?
0: Yeah. I think that's a great idea, Javanagh. In order to to do that, I think we should start by discussing what are the prima facie elements of all OSHA allegations of a violation. The first thing OSHA has to prove is that there was a standard that applied in the event that they're citing uh, an alleged violation of a standard. They need to establish that a standard applied to a particular situation that they had observed. The second thing they've got to show is that there was a deviation from compliance with that standard, some kind of condition or practice that was non-compliant with that standard. Uh, The third thing they need to show is that not only was there a non-compliant circumstance or practice, but that employees were exposed to that allegedly violated condition. Because if there was no exposure by an employee, but there was a violated condition, That's not a workplace violation arguably. It has to be a non-compliant circumstance where there was employee exposure to that circumstance and we'll talk about that more uh, next. But the fourth element is that OSHA has to establish that an employer knew or should have known through reasonable diligence that there was this allegedly violated condition and that employees were exposed to the allegedly violative condition. So let's talk about that employer knowledge element, that third element that I just discussed. In order to show that there was employee exposure, OSHA has to prove that the employee was actually exposed to an allegedly violative condition or that uh, exposure to the cited condition was reasonably predictable. And that last uh, alternative, uh, the idea that the agency has to establish that an employee uh, was exposed or may have reasonably, predictably been exposed to a violative condition. Uh, can be something more than the idea that uh, it's theoretically conceivable that an employee could have been exposed to a violate, allegedly violative condition, uh, but at the minimum, OSHA has to show that employees either were exposed or were somewhere in the zone of danger. So. That's not a tough standard for OSHA to establish, especially considering they don't have to prove actual exposure, but merely that it's reasonably predictable that there could have been employee exposure to a, an allegedly violative condition. With that said, the administrative law judge looked at the facts of the case, looked at both arguments, and issued a fairly lengthy decision, I'd say, Jovani.
1: That's right, they, uh, the administrative law judge decided ultimately to vacate the citation and rule in favor of Calpine. Now, looking just at the employee exposure issue, the ALJ found that uh, OSHA could not show that the employee was uh, actually exposed to the sighted condition, so based on the coroner's testimony, uh, it was possible that the employee could have fallen off the ladder while trying to get down the platform rather than through the opening, so they, uh, OSHA could not show the decedent or any other Calpine employee was actually exposed to the uh, unguarded opening. However, when looking at the um, uh, if if the uh, exposure was reasonably predictable, uh, the ALJ also found that OSHA couldn't prove that exposure to the cited condition was predictable. So there are a number of factors that the ALJ looked at in making this determination. The first was uh, involved the task that was asked of the the employees. So, so looking at the work order. The ALJ found that the work order to replace the spark rod was a a low priority and that there was no pressure for the decedent to complete that task and so therefore that's not predictable. Uh, The exposure to uh, the hazard wouldn't have been predictable. So the work order said that uh, some some conditions had to be met in order for the work to be performed. For example, the work order stated that uh, this task should only be performed if, uh, if the tarp covering the turbine was was not in the way, and in this case the, tur, uh, the TARP was still on the turbine, and so the ALJ argued that the decedent did not have to perform this task, and so it's not reasonable to assume that he would. The ALJ also pointed to Calpine's robust safety program. So, uh, Calpine trains its employees on different subjects on a monthly basis. They perform internal audits and third-party audits. They have uh, incentive programs for employees who have good safety records. And also, this particular employee, the decedent, he had a very strong safety record, and so he had a good reputation. There were no no evidence of noncompliance. Uh, and then further, uh, Calpine management expects that anyone doing a task such as the one that was attempted to be performed in this case, uh, anyone doing such a task would have to perform a safety assessment before uh, before doing so, uh, and, and then they would be able to detect uh, to detect whether or not the conditions were safe to do the task. So, looking at the safety program Calpine has, the ALJ argued it's not reasonable to to uh, to predict that the employee would have disregarded some of these procedures and their safety training and would have been exposed to the hazard. And then finally, the ALJ pointed to the obviousness of the hazard. Uh, the ALJ argued that the, the, the openings in the platform were very apparent, not only from the platform, but also uh, down on the ground. And so it, it was not predictable for an employee to ignore the obvious condition of a missing grate. And so uh, the, uh, the CalPINE, uh, the So within the decision in favor of Calpine, uh, the secretary decided that they wanted to appeal this decision to the review commission, challenging a number of items, including the employee exposure element. So so on appeal, uh, OSHA did not dispute the actual exposure part of this analysis, but rather focused on whether the exposure was reasonably predictable. So uh, OSHA argued that uh, employee exposure was reasonably predictable because uh, if you look at the assigned task it, it specifically it required that the employee would have to have access to the upper uh, platform which contained uh, those those openings that were a hazard and so it was reasonable to expect employee exposure to the platform because in order to complete the work order they would have had to have ac- they would have had to access that uh, that area of the workplace and the sided opening was located with, within just a couple of feet, closely adjacent to the west chamber ladder. So anybody climbing that ladder would be exposed to that opening right away. And so again, the task required uh, the task required to be performed exposed them to this opening. And there was a strong nexus between the unguarded platform and the likely movements of the employees assigned to the task. So. Uh, when you look at the way the turbine was, was placed, you could access the turbine and the platforms from either the west or the east chamber. Now the employee in this case, uh, the work order was for the east chamber and the employee tried to access the east chamber through the west chamber ladder. Now OSHA argued that it's still reasonable to assume that an employee, you know, no matter what side they're on, that they could access the platform and that they could access that area. And in fact, the entrance door uh, for when employees enter the facility is closest to the west chamber, so it's, it, it's foreseeable that they would use the west chamber ladder to go up and then cross the catwalk and go to the east chamber. And so that chamber ladder, once again, was immediately adjacent to uh, the platform opening, so it is predictable that an employee carrying out this task would enter the quote, zone of danger. Uh, to the unguarded opening
0: so I think uh, those are fair arguments to make uh, OSHA ignored essentially in its appeal whether or not there was actual exposure or that the employer believed reasonably believed that no employee would go up there without taking proper precautions and said look the only thing that we really care about is there was a allegedly violated condition there was a hole, a removed panel in the flooring of the catwalk Uh, of the uh, platform, and that it's reasonably foreseeable that an employee may go up there. And that's, according to OSHA's arguments, all that they needed to establish. So when this comes before the Review Commission, the Review Commission reverses the administrative law judge. And I think that this is by itself a reason to discuss this case in the OSHA 3030 because here you have an administrative law judge who ruled in favor of the employer and the Review Commission reversed them in favor of the Secretary of Labor, OSHA. So I think that that's fairly remarkable in the catalog of uh, Review Commission decisions. With that said, they reversed the, the administrative law judge and affirmed the, uh, the OSHA, OSHA citation. They essentially made the following point. As we had discussed before, the elements are they have to allege a violative condition, they did, that there was a panel missing from the working platform, that there was employee exposure, that uh, that exposure could have been actual exposure or reasonably predictable access to the violative condition, and that the employer had knowledge of the condition. And the review commission said, look, I think we've, we've that, that the secretary has made all of these points and that we've been able to go through the record and show support for each of these elements. Uh, the question that really this case centered on in debate in the review, at the Review Commission level was whether or not there was reasonably predictable access to the Violative Condition. And so the Review Commission said disregard whether or not the employee actually fell through that hole. We don't know. Unfortunately, this is a night shift. There was maybe four employees in the building at the time. He goes in on one side of this huge turbine, climbs the ladder and three hours later, they find him dead on the concrete floor 17 feet below the platform. He had the spark rod in his pocket and would have clearly intended to have climbed the platform to perform that work. And they said disregard that fact that uh, nobody saw how he died. The fact remains that there was a walking and working surface and it was in non-conformance with the walking and working surface standard at that time. The only question left is, is it reasonably foreseeable that an employee might have had access to that part of the platform? And they concluded that, you know, when you look at the work orders that specifically directed employees to get up there, and you looked at the fact that that particular task had to get done, other services would have had to have been reasonably foreseeably had to have been accomplished, there doesn't seem to be much reason to believe that a reasonable person couldn 't have predicted the possibility of an employee being up on that platform and had, would have had, potentially uh, had potential exposure to the whole of the platform and I think that that is not such a uh, controversial finding. I think that there is uh, understandable reason for the Review commission to have come to that conclusion with that said the uh, other features the physical features of that uh, facility, that building, as you described, also suggests reasonably predictable exposure. The fact that that there was a ladder that goes right up to the platform, the ladder is right next to the door to the building, the top of the ladder is right next to the hole in the platform. Uh, All of those also made it seem reasonably predictable that employees would climb the ladder, go up the platform, and be exposed to that hole, even if that employee may or may not have been. And so the review commission said, look, we think that the employee exposure element has been satisfactorily met by the agency. So that leaves employers, I think, with a a bit of an opportunity to consider what takeaway items they can take from this case. Uh, When you have a allegedly violative condition against any OSHA standard, the two things that an employer really has to be concerned about from the perspective of defense counsel, like, for example, the kind of work we do, where we are looking at how to better enable our management teams, our clients, to mount an effective defense against inertia citation. Then you've got to look at the kinds of tasks that in organizations where they are daily habituated towards taking these precautionary steps, they will be better positioned to put forth that kind of defense. And one of them I think always starts with training employees on not only known hazards but foreseeable hazards uh, that may arise in your workplace or are existing in your workplace. And uh, I think also the idea that you have to have supervisorial staff charged with the responsibility of going through the facility on a maybe not periodic, but aperiodic, but regular basis uh, and frequent basis, identifying potential hazards, uh, looking for changes in operations, in facilities, in practices, and identifying any potential new hazards that might arise from that.
1: I think that's important to mention because in this particular case, they have this overhaul project where um, they created these openings in the platform that normally, in their normal operations, they don't do that. So that's not a hazard that they're normally presented with, but for this particular uh, assignment, they created uh, these openings so they could do the the maintenance work they needed to do. So this was a new hazard that employees weren't uh, exposed to before. So it is important that when there's a new major project or new hazards are introduced in the workplace, that employees, understand what they are and that they are trained on how to respond to those hazards.
0: And, you know, the other thing that I think is important uh, that I see in some of the best run safety systems that uh, some of the companies we work with, construction firms, manufacturing firms, uh, firms in, in distribution chain, uh, as well as uh, a host of other sectors, uh, retail, distribution, etc is that they, they kick off their day with daily safety meetings. That may be a three minute meeting, but they are discussing safety issues that came up the day before, anything that's going on at the workplace this forthcoming day or that's reasonably anticipated, and communicating what issues to keep an eye out for, what areas, work areas to stay away from, what work, what used to be a work area that they want to cordon off uh, and and maybe just just doing a safety check on equipment. Uh, and I think that that daily safety meeting is a really critical element in some of the best run programs, and it certainly creates one more element in a an effective defense against citations, uh, Javene. We see also that there are records. Sometimes there may be just one or two lines of notes as to the kinds of subjects that might have been discussed in that day's daily meeting.
1: Right. The it's it's important for employers to record these new hazards and restrictions. So again if there are any incidents that come up and OSHA asks if the employee if the employer was aware of the hazards if employees were made aware of these hazards you can demonstrate that yes we we are keeping track of the new hazards that employees may be exposed to and training our employees accordingly so this is going to help uh, with with any defense if uh, if the employer can show that they are staying on top of these of these new hazards that come up in the workplace and protecting their employees.
0: The other thing I'd say, the final uh, practical takeaway item I think employers ought to consider is when they see a hazard and they can't deal with it right then and there, they need to get parts or equipment or a different kind of uh, worker in who's experienced or focused on that kind of task, that they ought to restrict the access to that area that has a hazard, uh, lock it out, tape it off, rope it off, put signage, uh, so that they can effectively cordon off employee exposure to an allegedly violated condition, uh, the administrative law judge noted that, as well as did the review commission, that when you look at the facts in this particular case involving Calpine, the uh, the there were only two, under the the version of the walking working surface standard at the time there were only two means of compliance, and one was to put up guard railing and the other was to have uh, ongoing monitoring. Mm-hmm. And that would only be presumptively true if indeed that was a working area. But I would argue that if it had been locked out or taped off signed off, uh, with signage, et cetera, then it was not a work area at all and didn't need to comply with the standard, uh, at least until such time as somebody could go in and correct the allegedly violative condition. And so I think that that is always something that employers ought to consider when they're looking at a violated condition, they don't want anyone to go near it, but there's multiple shifts coming in and out or multiple teams coming in and out, that's the best way to make sure that communication goes across all those teams to to choke off any potential employee exposure. Well, with that said, that's today's OSHA 3030. Uh, you can catch more updates between uh, various episodes of the OSHA 3030 uh, to various sources, our LinkedIn pages, both on, the individual pages: Monish Rath, David Savadi, Larry Halpin, Javaneen Nukumera. I know every one of us has a LinkedIn page, as does the practice group collectively. Keller and Heckman Workplace Safety and Health page on LinkedIn. Uh, we also have a Twitter pages. Mine's at Rath Monish. Many of you are already on that Twitter page. Not a lot going on there, but every once in a while, there's uh, interesting information that you might catch. Most importantly, this program and all of the programs for the past few years have been rebroadcast as a podcast i subscribe to the osha thirty thirty as a podcast i catch it on my drive into work uh, so it's an easy hands free way to catch the program you don't have to be at your desk so if you subscribe to the osha thirty thirty on your favorite podcast channel uh, then you will find it on uh, apple itunes and all of the other major podcast streaming channels just search on osha 30 30 and it'll come up and then subscribe Those of you who have heard it as a podcast, will you please write a review, give us a five-star review, and give us a like. Uh, I normally don't go fishing for these kinds of things, but I noticed on the podcast for iTunes that it is uh, surprisingly bare. Uh, I think we've got one good good review, and that's it. And so for those of you who are listening, if you listen and like it, please rate it. Uh, With that said, the last thing I'll say is one of the first things I said. When you get the next invitation, please forward that invitation on to three other in-house counsel or safety and health professionals at your organization or at other organizations that you think could benefit from the kind of information we're providing in this program. Enlarge the OSHA 3030 community by three more people than you have done so far. And that'll help ensure its vitality for years to come. The next OSHA 3030 will be at 1 p.m on Wednesday, July 25, 2018. Always on a Wednesday, always at 1 p.m. The next one July 25th. If you are a company, or at a company that is responsible for compliance with TOSCA or FIFRA, two elemental acts under the uh, jurisdiction of the Environmental Protection Agency. We do 3030 programs for those areas of law as well. The next TOSCA 3030 is on July 11th, Wednesday at 1 p.m. The next FIFRA 3030 will be announced shortly, so stay tuned. Uh, and you can find more information on all of our emails. We try and share information about the other three programs. With that, I look forward to catching up with you next month, July 25th, and until then, thank you all for participating. Javanay Nakumrim, thank you for joining me, and I will talk to you then. Until then, stay safe.